I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is your undocumented Anchorman, Mark Stein, no supporting paperwork whatsoever, but thrilled and honored to be here as always. 1-800-282-2882 is the number to call if you'd like to get in on the program. If you're a liberal, if you're a lefty, if you're an Antifa type, uh, do give me a call. I always uh, always like to hear from the other side, as uh, as Rush did, in fact, just a week ago when he was talking to that guy Charlemagne, Charlemagne the God or whatever he was called. Uh, if you want to send your best wishes to Rush, you know how we do it on the air. We just say mega dittos or mega prayers, whatever is your preference. You can also go to RushLimbaugh.com and if you just uh, see the menu bar at the top of the page and go to the third one along, I believe it is, it's special messages for Rush and you can send Rush a message there. We all We, we know what's going on. Uh, and it's not a lot of uh, fun for him, but it's uh, it, he's actually taking a couple of days off for some good things too because he's in the midst of celebrating uh, his wedding anniversary. So it's not just uh, doctors and nurses. He also has some uh, congenial aspects uh, to this couple of days off. Uh, but Rush will return later in the week. A uh, lot of stuff to talk about. I hope you had a great weekend, either locked, down or looting, whatever your preference is. Those seem to be the only two lifestyle choices in America today. Not a lot in between. And oddly enough, both the lockdown and the looting are uh, zealously supported by the same public health experts, as Rush was talking about on Friday. One way round it, if you're locked down but you'd rather get with the looting kind of uh, side of things... A North Carolina speedway drew a crowd of more than 2,000 spectators uh, over the weekend, Saturday night, uh, by declaring the race a protest. The governor's office had warned Ace Speedway uh, 
in North Carolina that a crowd of more than 25 would violate the state's phase two coronavirus restrictions. Uh, But it was reported that more than 2,000 attended the Speedway race and a sign outside the Speedway said this event is held in peaceful protest of injustice and inequality everywhere. Good for you guys. The the uh, Alamance, is that how you said? Alamance County Sheriff's Office said it is evaluating the events. Maybe if you're thinking of holding a church service. Uh, and that's illegal in your particular state, just break into the church. Just, you know, take the make it look as if you bust the lock in on, on the front door. And uh, if they come in, just say that, in fact, you're having a riot in there and you haven't yet got around to breaking all the stained glass windows. Uh, that's, what's, uh, that's what is necessary to do. Oh, abolishing the police. Uh, Minneapolis has voted to abolish its police department, founded in 1867. The 12-year-old mayor of Minnesota, Jacob, uh, I believe his name is, Little Jacob, the mayor of Minnesota, he's the love child of Justin Trudeau and Elmo, I think. Um, The 12-year-old mayor took a tough stand. He's opposed to actually just abolishing the police all right, so he got uh, booed out of the big, uh, big protests. What will the new post-police world look like? I was very taken by this clip on CNN when uh, Alison Camarota interviewed Lisa Bender, the head honcho of Minneapolis City Council. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police-free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors, and I know, and and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege, because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality, where calling the police may mean more harm is done. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, That's good to know. So if you've got a home with stuff in it and uh, there's a home invasion going on, uh, you're just coming at this from a place of privilege. Minnesota, Minneapolis uh, City Council have voted to abolish their police department. The NFL. Rush loves the NFL. I don't understand a word of it. Can't see the appeal of it myself. So I'm uh, allowed... uh, In Rush's absence, I think it's one of the few things I disagree with him on. He loves the NFL, and it's always embarrassing for me uh, when I'm here on the day after Super Bowl Sunday because I haven't got the first clue uh, what's going on. I always say I like the bit where they say, uh, take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning stretch, and then for some reason everybody laughs at me. But anyway, the NFL and the United States Soccer Federation have both reversed their bans on taking a knee. And you can bet at the NFL now the whole team's going to be taking a knee. You don't want to be the one guy who isn't taking a knee when everybody else is. Uh, This is now the first national anthem in the world that you don't rise for, but instead you sink to the ground. Police chiefs, soldiers, congressmen, mayors, governors, prime ministers, princesses all out in the streets taking a knee. Uh, Princess Marta Louise of Norway, who is uh, admittedly one of the more bonkers members of the Norwegian royal family, but she is still the daughter of the King of Norway, and she was ostentatiously taking a knee with her kids. Justin Trudeau 
Uh, he's uh, not only the uh, father of the mayor of Minneapolis, but he's also the prime minister of Canada. As you know, he likes to go around in blackface. He is actually the only G7 leader who, in his 30s, went around wearing not just blackface. He blacked his arms. He blacked his legs. He blacked everything, as far as uh, one can tell. Um, but he thinks you're all a bunch of racists, and he's not. That's just some little kinky thing he's got going. But he's not racist, and you are. So he was in the street taking a knee. Normally, as I said, he's like uh, uh, the uh, first prime ministerial mammy singer. Normally, when he drops to his knee, it's to sing Rockabye, your baby, with a Dixie melody. But he was actually just dropping to his knee uh, to express solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Mitt Romney was marching in a Black Lives Matter protest and has said he can't uh, he can't support. He's, uh, he's terribly sorry about it, of course. Uh, it came out of the blue. We thought he was rock solid, but he said now he cannot support Donald J. Trump this November. Trump is under a barrage uh, from the most decorated American generals. They're all of them. Uh, General Powell, General Mattis, General Kelly, they're all having a go at him. Uh, he's under sustained bombardment from them, uh, which means that if it goes the same way it did in Afghanistan and Iraq, it'll be completely ineffectual. Uh, and he can withstand it. If, if, if he's like the Taliban, he can take bombardment from America's generals for 20 years and it, and it won't do anything. I don't want to be... OK, I do want to be rude about them. I don't think I, uh, there is something completely contemptible, I think, in what Mattis did. This is Mad Dog Mattis, who's like, actually, I don't even know what he did to deserve that because he's like a show poodle. He's the guy who, uh, on the first 9 uh, 11 of the Trump administration, when he was uh, defense secretary, he didn't even mention Islam or radical Islam on that. Now these guys are attacking uh, him. General Mattis made a comparison with the Nazis defending continental Europe on D-Day. I mean, how lame is that? How lame is that? And, oh, uh, and the only thing that actually does is remind you that that's the last time an American general actually won a war. Uh, you have to go back 75 years now. If there's anybody as a group, I, I will listen to hairdressers. I will listen to nail salon owners. I'm disinclined to listen to generals. Colin Powell, the genius who, resisting uh, pressure to intervene militarily in the Balkans when Yugoslavia uh, went up, uh, he said, we do deserts, we don't do mountains. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. His, his, uh, under his brilliant leadership, uh, America actually can't do deserts either uh, in Iraq or uh, pottering around the plains of Afghanistan. The, the whole, the idea, they didn't like Trump because Trump doesn't see the point of wars that are not in the national interest and without strategic purpose. And there's something weird, you know, in almost any other situation, if generals were piling on to the uh, elected leader of a country, it would be a sign of an incoming uh, military coup. Uh, but it's a measure of how toothless and irrelevant these generals are that nobody even worries about that. They just, oh, they just pretend to be shot. Oh, Colin Powell. Oh, he's a rock-ribbed Republican. Admittedly, he hasn't voted Republican in 16 years. 
uh, because he voted for Obama in 2008 and Obama in 2012 and then Hillary in 2016. So all that means is that he finds Trump as repellent and out of the question as Mitt Romney. <laughs> this is the joke about these. This is the joke about these guys. Uh, Mitt Romney was too strong meat for Colin Powell. So the likelihood that he was going to be voting for uh, Trump was never very strong. But there is a there is a sustained effort here now uh, going on. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about in the next three hours, I see Bill Barr has said he's going to launch an investigation into Antifa and what Antifa has been doing uh, about uh, all these uh, riots and looting and things. That's actually not the critical point here. The critical point here is how everything Antifa believes has been mainstreamed. Did you see the Democrat caucus, the uh, senators and representatives in the Capitol this morning, down on their knees, all taking a knee? People who used to defend Colin Kaepernick uh, didn't take a knee themselves. They just said he was exercising his right to free speech. Even the defenders of Kaepernick weren't knee takers. Now everyone's a knee taker. And that's more than Antifa. Antifa is the fringe. There's not a lot of people in the end who want to skulk about blowing things up, uh, lobbing Molotov Molotov cocktails and all the rest of it. But the mainstreaming of all Antifa's core beliefs by mayors, by governors, by congressmen, the mainstreaming of fringe actions like abolishing the police, all within the space of a week and a half, all while law-abiding America remains in lockdown, is an astonishing phenomenon. We're going to take your calls on that. 1-800-282-2882. This is Mark Stein on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Mark Stein in for Rush on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan is challenging President Trump to have the guts to take a knee live on TV in the Oval Office. Uh, It's not often that anyone uh, drops to their knees in the Oval Office, not since uh, Monica quit being the intern. But uh, Piers Morgan is challenging Trump to take a knee live on TV from the Oval Office. Meanwhile, Fuji Bicycles uh, is now suspending sale of police bikes in the United States. It will not sign... It will not sell bicycles to American policemen because that is a sign of brutal police oppression. So they won't have any bicycles to use when they want to oppress you. They'll just have to get into the secondhand tanks uh, that the Department of Defense uh, sells them. So things are fast. Things are fast moving here. It's having a knock on effect on freedom of speech issues, too. The New York Times accidentally, supposedly, published an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton supporting the deployment of the National Guard and other military forces to American cities. And the op-ed page editor, the editorial page editor, uh, has now quit the paper for having the temerity to publish uh, that a particular disgusting opinion. It doesn't even have to be a full-scale opinion piece to end your career. I knew that guy, actually. Uh, now I think about it. Jim Bennett at the New York Times. He was at the Atlantic Monthly uh, when I used to do the obituary column at the Atlantic uh, Monthly. He's gone from the New York Times. Uh, the uh, executive editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Stan Wisnowski, has quit 
His mistake was to approve a headline saying buildings matter too. He didn't even go, he wasn't even so offensive as to say all lives matter. He just said, he looked around these American cities and saw all these burning buildings and said that buildings matter too. Uh, He tried groveling, that didn't work, now he's gone. Andrew Sullivan, the guy who more than anyone else, I would say more than any other individual, sold gay marriage to the American left at a time when uh, the left was so radical they despised marriage as a bourgeois institution and wanted no part of it. And the big point about being gay uh, was that you didn't have to be married. Andrew Sullivan sold gay marriage to the American left. He got it made law uh, within the space of about a decade, the law of the land, and he's now been cancelled by the New York mag- New York magazine, the one that used to publish uh, Tom Wolfe in the days when they still believed in freedom of speech. Uh, now uh, won't uh, has cancelled his column on the riots because it offends the little snowflakes, the easily triggered snowflakes uh, who now are deeply embedded in the New York Times and the Philadelphia Inquirer and New York Magazine. I mentioned Tom, Tom Wolfe. Uh, I had a cocktail with Tom Wolfe uh, about 10, 15 years ago in the Carlisle Hotel in New York. And he mentioned that when we, he wrote his book about uh, American colleges, I Am Charlotte Simmons, his, his great novel about that. And he'd done a lot of research and he'd visited these colleges. And he said that... Uh, Everybody he, he saw there, all the college kids, he, they're basically, for the political correctness, they're just rolling their eyes. They pretend to put up with it, and they forget it the minute they leave college. And that may have been true 20 years ago, but I pushed back. I said, I didn't think that was the case. I don't think you can actually put all this stuff in people's heads, and then the minute they get the sheepskin and they go off to do whatever job they're going to do, they forget all that stuff. And what we're seeing now is that basically the entire United States of America has turned into one big college campus with all the same insanity, where you use three words that happen to offend people, like buildings matter too. That's all that happened there. The executive editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer, he didn't spot that headline and nip it in the bud in time, and now his career is over. Jim Bennett, you can, you, Jim Bennett thought he was working for a newspaper, a newspaper where, and this is one of the reasons American newspapers are so boring, because traditionally, even right-wing newspapers or left-wing newspapers or whatever they are, like to have one uh, dissenting point of view in there. Uh, So just to rile people up and get them mad and remind them of why they hate the other side. I used to be the right-wing columnist at the Irish Times, which is a very left-wing newspaper. And everybody hated me being in there, which made me feel good, because normally when you write a column and everybody agrees with it, it doesn't attract any attention. And when you're the token right-wing columnist at a left-wing newspaper, as I was at the Irish Times, there were people, people were asking questions about it in the Irish Parliament. Uh, objecting to it, demanding I be fired. And in fact, in those days, they were very sporting and they liked it uh, when questions were being uh, asked about you in Parliament and people were objecting to you. Now they crumble instantly. And uh, so a a Republican senator cannot have an op-ed piece published 
in the New York Times. That doesn't come under the rubric of all the news that's fit to print. That's not fit to print, and they're not going to print it. Uh, and this is this is increasingly the norm. We are now in one giant campus. We we the United States of America is no longer a republic. It is a particularly absurd university in which the wrong uh, form of words on this, uh, the wrong form of words of that will absolutely end your career instantly. And it's happening. Uh, Andrew Sullivan, as I said, he's a lefty, basically. He's the guy who, who, who he, he, he loves Obama. He, he got gay marriage imposed on the nation, and yet he cannot get his column on the riots published by his magazine. Free speech is dead. Hollywood. It get wor- it's get worse. This has been a terrible year. Hollywood is going to have sex scenes done by using CGI now to avoid COVID-19 transmission. Because, as you know, Dr. Fauci has advised uh, that you should wear a mask if you're having sex with the woman you've been married to for the last 60 years. You just, just to be on the safe side, you're best to wear... She might like it after all this time. Just You're your best just to wear a mask for that. On the other hand, if you're thinking of looting a target, you don't need to wear a mask for that. You don't need to socially distance. But sex scenes now, uh, they're going to be done by CGI. So presumably Scarlett Johansson or whatever will be just writhing around in front of a green screen, a uh, big blank, and then they'll CGI in whoever it is that she's writhing around with, the Incredible Hulk or whoever she's been meant to be having an affair with. It gets worse, it and it gets worse. Uh, Rush is out. Uh, there's a way to deal with that if you go to RushLimbaugh.com and you sign up for the most Rush anyone can buy legally. That is a Rush 24-7 subscription, uh, and you throw in with it a special subscription to the Limbaugh letter. Uh, all at one low price. It's a great Father's Day gift. Father's Day is coming up in just under two weeks now. And this is the perfect present for the dad you love. Uh, and uh, if you dad, you might have a kind of lefty-wingy kind of dad, and this might actually change his mind. That's uh, as Andrew Breitbart used to talk about with his father-in-law, the great Orson Bean. Uh, it was reading Rush's book, that changed Orson's mind on a lot of these things. So go to RushLimbaugh.com, take out a Rush 24-7 subscription, plus a subscription to the print edition of the Limbaugh Letter. One low price. It's a great Father's Day gift. And don't leave it, because it's like easy with Mother's Day. You know, it's like flowers, chocolates, or whatever. Father's Day, you've got to put a bit more thought into it. And uh, this is a great Father's Day gift. Uh, all available at RushLimbaugh.com. Rush, this time last week, he was talking to, and I know Mr. Snurdley, because <laughs> I followed Mr. Snurdley's Twitter feed with interest during the interview. Uh, Mr. Snurdley had, to put it mildly, mixed feelings about Rush's interview with uh, Charlemagne the God and his two co-hosts. And as you know, these guys have some hot show and all the Democrat candidates go on the show and... Uh, it's a rite of uh, a passage for them. It's a ritual they have to do. And it's where Joe Biden stepped in it by telling Charlemagne the God that he's not black. I don't know why he calls himself Charlemagne. 
I don't know why he misspells Charlemagne. I don't want to make a big deal about it. I don't want to be all punctilious and prissy and white privileged about it. I, and I agree with Rush for actually reaching out uh, to these guys and uh, having a dialogue with them. Uh, I, I, I was so inspired by that, I made the mistake of going on the BBC the following day, and it didn't work out for me at all. So I, I think it's necessary uh, in these times to actually reach out and attempt to have a dialogue. And what was fascinating about it to me, listening to it, uh, years and years ago, I, I was in Budapest, and I had to go and interview some guy for the BBC, as it happens, and I don't speak Hungarian apart from, you know, being able to order a cup of coffee in a restaurant or whatever. And this guy didn't speak English. So we'd arranged to have an interpreter. And about 10 minutes, they came, they set up all the cameras. And about 10 minutes before we were due to start shooting, we get a call from the interpreter to say she's got a problem with her car and she can't get there. And then she said to the guy I was meant to be interviewing, she said to him in Hungarian, and let's do it this way. Whatever question Mark asks, you just answer whatever you think he's talking about. And they can try and re-edit all the questions uh, and the answers to match whatever question you thought you were being asked. They can, they can do all that in post-production. So off we set. I ask him a question. He answers an entirely different question. I answer another question. He answers an entirely different question. And when they got back... We then had the problem we should have foreseen when they got it into post-production that none of the answers matched any of the questions. And that's the thing. I hadn't thought about that in years. And that's the feeling I had listening to Rush talk to Charlemagne the God and his two colleagues. They're, they, too, were actually speaking entirely different languages and needed, in fact, an interpreter as Rush said at one point toward the end, he didn't understand the definition of uh, white privilege. And all. It, Rush basically talks, as he's talked here, for a third of a century about opportunity and liberty uh, and the sense that those, those are opportunity is liberating. You can live life to your fullest potential. A lot of societies don't want you to do that, and they squash and tamp you down so that you can't. You, you, you've got talents. You can't use them. It was like that behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, a, a uh, many ways, a, a, a gifted, educated peoples that were not allowed to live lives to the fullest of their potential. Uh, and for Rush, that is what America is. And for Charlemagne the God... And for his two cohorts, that's not what America is. And they don't even understand it in those terms. And they use a completely different set of language about white privilege and systemic racism and all the rest of it. And it's very difficult, I think, when, when, you, do need an, when you need an interpreter to talk uh, to your fellow citizen. It is a, it's not a good sign uh, of where things are going. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the, the, the fact that America has now turned into a giant college campus with, with all the pathologies of the average American college campus, where you can't talk, uh, uh, where you, there, there's no respect for freedom of speech, there's no culture of free speech, because... Uh, there are correct answers, and everything else is not just a different opinion, but it's a view that shouldn't be heard. 
So, for example, if you suggest that all lives matter or that buildings matter, like that Philadelphia Inquirer guy did, uh, that's not just a difference of opinion. That's disrespecting Black Lives Matter, and that cannot be permitted. And we have this now on every... It's not just as if it's on one subject. It's on a whole range of subjects. It's on true of climate change. It's true of Islam. It's true of transgender bathrooms. There's a correct view of it, and there's an incorrect view of it. And the people who were raised in oncologies, where the incorrect view was squashed and banned, are now working at the New York Times and the Philadelphia Inquirer and demanding that those views be banned from newspapers too. And I listened, so I listened to these guys, these mainstream Republicans so-called, even if they haven't voted Republican for 16 years, like Colin Powell. And I've got no use for them whatsoever. Uh, I said a decade ago in my book, After America, came out in 2011, that the biggest structural defect in America today was education. And you can't just let it go for generations, degenerating, deteriorating, Until you have now uh, the Great Awakening, you have people who actually have no uh, comprehension of alternative views, except that they're illegitimate. And what were we doing? I see in this New York Times piece that everyone's making a fuss about, showing that, ooh, Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney's not going to be supporting the president, and ooh, Lisa Murkowski's not going to be supporting the president, ooh, and Colin Powell and George W. Bush and John McCain's widow, none of them are going. Somewhere in there, there's a question mark over Paul Ryan, that he may be, the guy who basically sabotaged the first two years when Trump had the White House, the uh, House, and the Senate. Uh, Paul Ryan, what did he get us? A a cut in the uh, capital gains tax rate? Meanwhile, the hardcore left transformed American education, turned it into hardcore social engineering, sent out this, uh, this snowflake generation, that emerged around the time that Facebook and Twitter did, that is this peculiar combination of emotional fragility and total feral viciousness, so that if you say anything that slightly rattles the fragile, vulnerable snowflake, they will all rise up as a mob. They're basically, to put it in H.G. Wells' terms, uh, they're Morlocks in Eloy clothing, uh, they're these m- monsters from the deep, uh, disguised as little flower children. They will rise up and utterly destroy you and actually have have driven the final stake through the New York Times. The New York Times has to apologize for publishing an op-ed by a sitting U.S. senator. We lost, we lost the education system, and because of that, because of that now... Uh, we're in actually revolutionary times where, it, where we, we've got a mob here. For the moment, they're just there have been people who died in, in some of these riots and all the rest of it. But the far more pervasive kind of mob action is the complete destruction of people's livelihood. The three or four words uh, that they they shouldn't have said you put you put on an infelicitous headline in a newspaper 
and your career is over. This is madness. And we no longer speak the same language. Go, go back and listen. It's very interesting. There's, Rush is meeting these guys, trying to meet them halfway, because he wants it to be a productive session. And Charlemagne said afterwards that it wasn't. You know, he, he regarded it as a waste of time. But what's interesting to me is it's like they're not speaking the same language and the translator has gone out for lunch and can't connect up the question and the answer. Uh, a fascinating thing and worth uh, listening to again. I think you'll find it up there at RushLimbaugh.com. Mark Stein in for Rush. We'll take your calls straight ahead. Mark Stein in for Rush. Let us go to Mark in uh, Moran, Pennsylvania. I hope I've pronounced that correctly, Mark. Is that is that what it's called? Yeah, Moran? Well, yeah. Moran, yeah. Okay, uh, great. Hey, God bless Rush. Get healthy, brother. You're, you're the man, and you've taught us all to think better. But, hey, I hear I did not hear until you opened up with these generals are uh, condemning Rush or condemning right. uh, Trump. Yep. And they're, yeah. you know, okay. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit confused. Why have these uh, generals, uh, why haven't they put a petition out for Michael Flynn? To, you know, he's been sandbagged by these Democrats. How come they've been so silent on that? Yeah, that's actually something you would think, as he is one of their fellow generals, that's something you'd think they'd have something to say about. You'd think actually would, would kind of disturb him, disturb them, because no matter how many decades of service you have to your country, you can lose everything in 20 minutes uh, if the deep state dis- decides to screw you over, as it did there. And actually, that would be something uh, concerned generals for Flynn is something that Mattis and Kelly and co., might usefully do. But as you say, Mark, they're absolutely silent on that. And and also silent, Mark, all these people who say, oh, well, you know, these are decorated generals. We uh, we need to listen to them. Well, what are these generals? Done? Well, they did uh, Vietnam. They did the helicopters in the desert in Iran. They did the first Gulf War. They did the second Gulf War. They did Afghanistan. They've got a tremendous record. These generals are totally worthy of respect apparently that doesn't that doesn't apply to michael flynn when he's being obviously screwed over by a cabal of rogue federal agents you're right mark there's hypocrisy uh, all round on on that side i guess they could use the excuse that if they speak up for michael flynn it would be conduct unbecoming of an officer yet when you directly uh blast or dis you know disrespect the commander in chief somehow you're supposed to get a pat on the back hey one other question and well I'll well actually no, no no yeah just just let me say something on that the unit the whatever it is the uniform code of military justice does actually say something about the conduct expected of retired officers and i would say as a general proposition unless a retired officer is thinking of doing an Eisenhower and contemplating running for office, then actually weighing in on something that's purely political, uh, as these guys increasingly do, is not uh, conduct becoming uh, to a senior officer, Mark. What, what was your last point? Okay, the, the other point I was going to make is I, all these uh, people that want to defund the policemen. And, of course, right. now these politicians are weighing in, and they want to defund all the police communities. Does that also include the Secret Service, Service who provides protection for all these politicians? Does that mean now that all these politicians are going to be out there on their own and won't have the, you know, the protection from the police, the Secret Service, or anybody else? Are they going to give that up, 
or is it going to be like Obamacare where they had the Obamacare for all of us, but they exempted themselves? Well, I think I think it would be closer to the latter. Ba- basically, you would see even you would see even more the bifurcation of society into those who uh, have their own personal private p- protection and those who don't. Whether that private protection is called the Secret Service or whether they uh, wind up in Congress just hiring a lot of now unemployed ex-cops to protect them. But it's going to make everything... That that uh, personal Minneapolis City Council actually got it right, Mark. She said uh, that, that uh, Alison Camarota, when her house is broken into, is going to be reduced to someone in Chicago on a weekend, and there's uh, gunshots coming through the living room wall of your frame house. That's how they want it. Uh, white privilege means we all have to be made as vulnerable as the worst neighborhood in Chicago. Thank you for your call, Mark. That's Mark in Moran, Pennsylvania. We got lots more straight ahead. Do give me a call, especially if you're of the Antifa persuasion. 1-800-282-2882. Uh, I love to hear what the other side is thinking. So do give us a tinkle on the telephone. Back in a moment. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. You know, I don't really want to talk about General Mattis in the scheme of things. He's a completely unimportant person as far as uh, the Pentagon is concerned. No one will remember much about his tenure as Secretary of Defense. But I remember the first 9-11 of the new Trump administration because I didn't know much about him. He was called Mad Dog Mattis. Mad Dog, I assumed he'd earned uh, that subriquet. Uh, but he, he, after Trump had mocked Obama for not mentioning uh, radical Islam for years, uh, it turns out that on the 9-11 anniversary, the most you can get Mad Dog Mattis to allude to it is, quote, maniacs disguised in false religious garb, thought by hurting us they could scare us. Maniacs disguised in false religious garb. So in other words, he's saying, don't worry, this isn't anything to do with Islam and all. He's being exactly the same kind of coward on that as Trump accused Obama of being. And that's the language of losing. And that's why we're losing. And that's why America is currently negotiating to return Afghanistan to the same country we took it from 20 blasted, blighted years ago. Why would you listen to generals about anything? The entire American way of war needs a complete overhaul. Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is your EIB Anchor Baby. Uh, Thrilled to be here always an honor if uh, if you've decided to uh, flee the country i'm here in the great wastes of far northern new england uh, so if you are uh, thinking of uh, heading out before the entire powder keg goes up uh, do swing by and say hello you can't miss us we've got a big sign on the border uh, just on the highway saying last rush guest host before the border so uh, do swing by and uh, say hello we're just a stone's throw from the Canadian border, although oddly enough, the Canadian border is actually the one place uh, on the continent that they're not throwing stones. Uh, everywhere else, it's uh, it's going on. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. One of the reasons why uh, I, I find this whole last week and a half so dispiriting is because it's so fundamentally 
dishonest, like large aspects of contemporary life, it's completely dishonest. I guess we're about to see, for example, uh, that if what Dr. Fauci and co. have been telling us, uh, that at least one of these riots in the last week and a half is going to be a big super spreader event. And we'll have, uh, you know, another two million COVID cases arising from the super spreader riots in Minneapolis. Uh, we don't know that yet, but in, it, it, allowing for the two-week incubation period, we'll start to see, because uh, all the protocols were thrown out. They've been out on the streets for the last week and a half. And as I said, at least one of them has to be a super spreader event, and that's going to just, boom, explode in wherever it is, Minneapolis, or, or, or maybe not, or maybe not. We don't know. But the other thing I think we all know at heart is that there are not... There is no good faith solution to what we're seeing on the streets. I'm like Rush. Rush got a lot of pushback, I saw, from the law and order right who defend the police under any circumstances when he said that uh, if you lose your life, that's it. You've only got one life. Rush was actually extremely moving uh, and eloquent a week ago. He said the only person who's come back from the dead is Jesus Christ. And so for George Floyd, that's it. It's over. And whatever you feel about George Floyd, whatever, even if you everything that's ever said about him is true and on steroids and you multiply it by 10, it's not good policing when you can't arrest a suspect without killing the suspect. It's just not it's not any good. It's and I philosophically, there are aspects of the way our cities are policed that I'm I'm just completely uncomfortable with and maybe that's because i'm i live in a uh a small town with a one-man police department and the sights you see when the powder keg goes up in ferguson are completely alien to me in that respect but i can't be bothered actually even having a conversation about this because it's so dishonest nobody is talking about it honestly the very name of this movement black lives matter is a crock a complete crock have you heard of a guy called uh, august gills august gills do you know his name has he had funerals in uh, 30% of uh, all american jurisdictions like george floyd has no no uh, August Gills is entirely unknown. You know why? Because he died uh, in the 800 block of East 98th Place in Chicago on Saturday. There were, there were five people killed and another 30 shot in Chicago over the weekend. August Gills was just standing on the street when an orange Dodge Charger pulled up uh, fired shots at him and the woman he was with, 18 years old. He was taken to Christ Medical Center in Oak Lawn and died several hours later. And nobody cares because it's routine. The weekend before that uh, was the worst violence in uh, Chicago history. 18 murders in a day. The Chicago Sun-Times published photographs of all of them. Uh, one black life, second black life, third black life, fourth black life. And yet none of these black lives matter because they're blacks killing blacks. And I understand that. That's a familiar thing. Uh, if you're a 19th century imperialist like me, that's a, that's a familiar thing you, you remember 
from your childhood when uh, African colonies were decolonized. Uh, people would people would go bananas if an English or Scottish district con- commissioner uh, happened to shoot somebody. But the minute uh, the thing becomes independent and uh, and they're all killing each other, nobody minds about that. And actually, I had it explained to me that you don't mind your own people killing you, but you do if it's uh, some other kind of person. That's how ridiculous people think about these things. But the fact is. There's actually an apocalypse of death on the streets every weekend, and nobody cares about it. Nobody cares about it. Nobody demonstrates about it. Nobody remembers the name of August Gills, 18 years old. 18 years old. With his, As Rush was saying about George Floyd, you only have one life to live. But in Chicago, you can just you just happen to be shooting, standing at the intersection when a, a car pulls up looking for somebody to shoot and you happen to be the somebody. And it goes on every week. Uh, a man called what's this guy called? Deontay Jelks. He's from Vancouver, British Columbia. That's uh, that's in Canada. He moved there a few years ago from his hometown of Chicago Uh, because he was fed up with everybody being shot. Uh, Last week, on May the 31st, his brother and his cousin were killed in Chicago. And this guy is saying he's so glad he's moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, so he doesn't have to live with this. And exactly the same thing. They were waiting at a stoplight on East 95th Street... In the 1600 block, someone in a dark-coloured SUV just suddenly opened fire, striking both men in the head, and they were pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, This guy's brother, this guy's cousin, and people wonder why he decided to scram Chicago and uh, go and live. He's not in Vancouver. He's in a town on Vancouver Island. Uh, So he's somewhere near Victoria in British Columbia. And he says third world countries are safer than Chicago. And statistically speaking, he's not wrong about that. Why isn't why don't those black lives matter? This is such a dishonest conversation. And we're getting now into this this whole virtue signaling thing, this liturgical aspect to it. In North Carolina, uh, somebody posted on Twitter uh, a video clip of uh White people kissing the feet of black men to show their penance. It's actually taking on aspects of a state religion, anti-racism. But it's a totally fake anti-racism that is more like a Jonestown cult because it doesn't take into the account the reality of the vast preponderance of black deaths. And nobody's got a plan for that. Virtue signaling nincompoops like Colin Powell don't have any ideas on that. It's actually racist to bring it up. If you say, if you if you go out on Twitter, uh, if you uh, attempt to write an op-ed in the New York Times saying, oh, well, as regrettable as it is that uh, George Floyd was killed by the Minneapolis Police Department, we mustn't forget all these black men who are just randomly shot every single weekend in Chicago. It's like the most, this is the most insane perversion of the Stalin line about one death being a tragedy and a million deaths being a statistic. So August Gills, 18 years old, randomly shot dead, 18 years old, his entire life ahead of him, dead, 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 
Uh, he's just a statistic uh, because there's no room. Uh, there's only George Floyd, the mega tragedy. This is this is a terrible thing that we are doing, uh, and it's completely it's com- it, it's completely a dishonest conversation. Uh, uh, essentially, anti-far's extreme positions are now being embraced by the media. They're being embraced by corporations. They're being embraced by Facebook. They're being embraced by congressmen, senators, prime ministers, Princess Martha Louise of Norway, and all of them. Justin Trudeau and Governor Whitmer and uh, Mayor 12-year-old in Minneapolis and Princess Martha Louise in Norway are all being completely revoltingly dishonest about this because we have so corrupted the, 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 the boundaries in which we can discuss this issue that there can be no honest conversation about what the problem is and, and how to solve it. Uh, and as you know, the last time I was here... Everyone was chafing under lockdown, moaning about lockdown. You couldn't go out. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Lockdown, if you're locked down somewhere fairly securely, uh, is looking pretty sweet uh, right now. Uh, And you know, when it comes to safety and security, Rush likes you to be safe and sound when you are in your home because your home is supposed to be your castle, uh, as they say in English law. And that's why Rush speaks of simply safe as often as he does. Hey, a sense of security in your home stands as one of your highest priorities, especially now. The size of the home, location, that doesn't matter. What matters is the security system that you choose work and work every day. And I'm going to tell you about one that you need to look into. Simply safe makes a home security system that anybody can afford and you should and you will like having. Nearly 4 million American families now have Simply Safe systems, and it's because they work. They're not intimidating. They're, there's a system that it's easy to operate, just as easy to install, because it has no wires. This is such a big deal, folks. Simply Safe invented a wireless home security system. You don't need a site survey, you don't need professionals coming out running wires, installing it. Wi-Fi is what's used to connect the sensors to the base station in your house. You can put them anywhere you want, and they will connect. There's 24-7 monitoring, if you want that, to the local police department or the fire department. You know what? It's only $14.99 a month, not $50. And there are no contracts to sign, so you're not, you don't have to uh, pledge to a minimum two-year monitoring contract, for example. You'll be amazed at how much Simply Safe does not cost 60 day money back guarantee meaning you can try this for two months if it doesn't meet your expectations pack it up send it back full refund simply safe usa.com is the website simply safe usa.com mark stein in for rush on america's number one radio show let's go to paul uh, who is in southern california he doesn't want to pin it down any more precisely than that, in case uh, the mob uh, uh, managed to figure out where it is. But he's somewhere in Southern California. Paul, it's great to have you with us on the show. What's on your mind Good today? Good to talk to you, Mark. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you don't want to get uh, too pinpointed here because you know who's watching. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> these uh, these police unions that are supporting the uh, Democrats, uh, I don't know how far uh, reaching that is, but... Uh, what are they going to do with this once they get disbanded? Are they going to still support them or what? 
Yeah, that's actually very interesting. The unionization of the... Well, uh, some of them have already begun to back away from Joe Biden, for example, since the big law and order moderate Democrat decided to go full Antifa on these things. But actually, the police unions are have a kind of ambiguous role in some of this because people talk about how difficult it is if there's a an officer-involved shooting, as the euphemism goes, how difficult it is to, to actually get the cop into a courthouse and put him on trial. A lot of that's because of these deals. That a, lot of, a, a lot of the privileged positions that the police enjoy are, are, are to do with their union muscle. So now the unions have a choice. Do, do you think, Paul, that the unions are interested in going along with this plan in Minneapolis to turn them basically into slightly butcher social workers and presumably as badly paid as social workers? Are the police unions going to go along with that? I don't believe that they can. There's not going to be anything that's going to support that. Who's going to? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? <laughs> Just not going to happen. You know, no, no well, well I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The, well, your, your social. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll answer that question, Paul, because I think it's an interesting thing. I mean, if you go back. For example, to the United States Constitution, the Founding Fathers did not foresee policemen. It's an invention of uh, the modern era, uh, going back 200 years uh, to Sir Robert Peel in in London. And what the Founding Fathers would have made of it, I'm, I'm not really sure. But the thing about it, you could put it in small government terms. Oh, this is great. We'd, we'd just have... Uh, people would have to defend their own homes. You'd have to have a slightly more armed neighborhood watch. Then you look at what happened to George Zimmerman in uh, Florida. These guys win at trial. Uh, they're demonized across the country, but they manage to win at trial, and still their lives are ruined. They have no money. Everybody who Googles them if they apply for a job is... So who would want to be uh, the neighborhood watch team that replaces the police in Minneapolis. That, that, that's a good way to just get your life ruined forever, regardless of whether or not you, you win at trial, Paul. There's just no winner. No. There's no, there's no legal standing. The, the, the neighborhood watch people don't have any legal standing. You can't call somebody and have them come and protect you. It's just not going to happen. No. And, and, and the thing about it is, is you can have small communities uh, that, are, that are able to protect themselves or that choose to protect themselves. But the problem is that uh, a, a, if you take uh, your part of California, for example, there are very fancy, uh, lavish, uh, some of the most valuable real estate on the planet in Beverly Hills and Malibu or whatever. But what does that mean when the guys from the slightly less fashionable neighborhoods decide they're sick of burning and looting their own downtowns and they're going to come for Rodeo Drive, or they're going to, uh, or they're going to go for Malibu. Who's going to protect those then? I mean, that that yeah. that, well, that th- this is a recipe for madness. Yeah. Did you see the uh, what happened in Ukaipa? Those people didn't stand for that much, did they? No, no, that's no, they, <laughs> no, they no. I mean, <laughs> no, you can't have you can't have that. That's that's true. But as I said, there's a. There's a very fine line here because the lesson of all these uh, cases like uh, the George Zimmerman and always is whatever the verdict of the jury, whatever the verdict of the trial, that guy's life is ruined. He's he's completely screwed forever. He's got no money. He can't get a job. Uh, he's demonized. Uh, anybody who Googles him for 15 seconds, 
and 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 basically there was a rare moment of honesty in that Alison Camarota clip because she's basically that lady from the Minneapolis council was was telling Alison you're just going to have to put up with a few more burglaries and a few more breakages. And you're going to have to get used to locking down your garden furniture, not leaving your kids' toys out in the yard, and maybe move them into the garage until they decide to come and break down your garage door and uh, and take it. This is actually a descent into anarchy. Uh, thank you for your call, Paul. I want to make one quick point, too. I The reason I have contempt for this movement and what we've seen the last week and a half. And the reason I don't want to be marching with Mitt Romney next to that guy in the street over it is because at the same time, uh, there have been actually proper protests against brutality in Hong Kong, where for the last year and a half, you've had demonstrations where up to a third of the population, over two million people have been in the streets against the regime that kills more people than anyone on the planet. There is no Chinese George Floyd. They kill more people, the Chinese, every year than the rest of the planet put together, supposedly. That's the statistic. And yet, and yet, uh, those guys in Hong Kong, over two million of them, they go out, they're trying to hold on to their freedom against a despotic dictatorship determined to take it away from them. Over a third of the population in the street, they managed to protest without smashing, tramp, without saying, oh, yeah, I'm here because black lives matter. Oh, look at that nice pair of Nikes. Uh, yeah, black lives still matter, but I'll be back in 10 minutes after I've taken the Nikes. Uh, the, everyone, even the lefties, are getting sick of this weasel phrase, mostly peaceful protests, because they know what that means. Well, in Hong Kong, they actually are genuinely mostly peaceful. Uh, they know what they want. They can actually tell you the program they want. They, they know exactly the liberties they want. And they're up against one of the most brutal regimes on the planet trying to take it away from them. That's the difference between a real protest movement and a completely... Uh, well, what is it these guys actually want? What is it? What's the program? What's the platform? Apart from these uh, these uh, safe space white liberal women berating themselves and advertising their virtue and how anti-racist they are. Yes, Rush is out. He told you he was going to be out. It's uh, it's it's not all just. Uh, the miserable medical stuff. Uh, the, he shares he shares a lot of that with you. I think rather more than than I would, um, because he knows that uh, people are concerned about him. And what I it, there's not a lot of consolations uh, to what's going on at the moment. What, but one of the things is that the way he's pacing himself these last a few weeks has been spectacular. Because when he is on, he is on. And he's going to be back later this week, and he is going to be on, like you heard him uh, all last week. But he's uh, taking a couple of days out, not just for the bad stuff, but also he's celebrating his 10th wedding anniversary with Catherine. So it's not all just doctors and nurses and uh, that kind of thing, but he's uh, also celebrating an important occasion in his and Catherine's life. And he will be with us later in the week. Um, I mentioned the 
the selectivity of Black Lives Matter, the whole thing where you never address... Well, it has its effect, this poll that's out. Only one in five black Americans feels that anything has improved since the civil rights era. In other words, in the last, basically now the last getting on for 60 years, going back to Selma, Alabama and the Civil Rights Act and the murder of Martin Luther King and all the rest of it. We've got black presidents. We've got black governors. We've got black mayors. We've got black police chiefs. But but only one in five black Americans feels that anything has improved. Meanwhile, we have, as I said, this just this routine acceptance of uh, the inconsequentiality of black lives. We have a movement called Black Lives Matter. And meanwhile, as an objective fact, black lives have never mattered less. Uh, I mentioned that five people had died in Chicago shootings over the weekend, 18 the previous weekend. Uh, and the, the Chicago Sun-Times published pictures of them all. Black, 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 black. Uh, 18 people dead in one weekend in Chicago. Nobody knows their names. Five people dead Sunday in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, including a 16-year-old girl who died in a shooting on Morganford Avenue in South St. Louis. A 39-year-old man killed on Minnesota Avenue. 35-year-old man at Newstead and St. Louis Avenue. Two men shot to death inside a vehicle on Maple Avenue in North St. Louis. Don't bother learning their names, because no one's ever going to be marching in the street for them. No one's ever going to be taking a knee for them. No one's ever going to know their names. I could fill every sh- I could fill every show for a week just reading out the names of black men... Black women, 16-year-old black girls, shot dead, and nobody cares. Nobody gives a damn. Nobody marches for them. Nobody does anything for them. Because it would involve having an honest conversation instead of the complete driveling rubbish uh, that we're, we're seeing talked about now. Now, the other thing that's interesting to me is that aside from the Black Lives Matter thing, the co-option of the movement by white uh, progressives, the prevalence of young white liberal women on the march on these, uh, in these protests, in these riots. And on the whole, I quite understand that. I mean, if you think of what uh, white male safe space pajama boys are like, like these guys who are uh, media matters for America, George Soros pays to listen to this show and type out anything uh, I say that triggers them and then try to get program directors uh, to have me fire and all that. I honestly couldn't care less about any of that because at some point we've, we've just, we can't operate between the parameters that these people are demanding we confine the conversation to. If you say like that NBA announcer, if you say that all lives matter on a tweet, even if Twitter agrees to publish that tweet, the NBA uh, TV guys will still fire you uh, from being a play-by-play commenter or whatever they call it in basketball. Uh, the, the NFL will cave. Facebook will cave. Every single American business last Tuesday turned its uh, fancy brand logos that they'd commissioned the Madison Avenue guys 
millions of dollars, paid them millions of dollars to come up with these fancy brand logos, and instead you go to their websites and it's just all black and then little hashtag white letters, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Uh, I said, uh, after, after looking at that for a day, every single thing you want to go to, uh, I, I said I was in favor of Plywood Thursday uh, in solidarity with all the unfashionable brands, all the little convenience stores, all the gas stations, all the little 24-hour pharmacies who all had to be reduced to just putting plywood up in front of their shop windows to avoid having them smashed and looted. And I'd bet on Plywood Thursday over Blackout Tuesday. But unfortunately, I'm not the chief executive of Target and Prada uh, and Alexander McQueen and all the fancy Fifth Avenue emporia. This is, this is what's disturbing. I, I, I can handle Antifa. I can handle the goons on the street rampaging around. What's disturbing is that every mainstream institution now has caved to them so that the fringe position... Uh, you may think it's a fringe position, but it can't be fringe. Not if Facebook's adopted it, uh, not if uh, Hollywood's adopted it, not if all the universities have uh, adopted it, uh, and and anybody who dissents from it, even in a by commissioning an op-ed or a uh, putting an infelicitous headline, their lives are ruined and they're fired. J.K. Rowling, on a related matter, J.K. Rowling. Uh, had a, it was uh, something called National Menstruation Day. I think it's something like that. Uh, the other day, and uh, J.K. Rowling was struck by the way people didn't talk about when they mentioned uh, the people who are affected by this. Uh, she was struck by the way they phrased it: creating a more equal post-COVID nineteen world for people who menstruate. And J.K. Rowling, she's the creator of Harry Potter. I think she's one of the, the wealthiest women on the planet, if not the wealthiest. She said, people who menstruate, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Was it wumbum, wimpum, wumud? Uh, she meant, of course, women. We used to know that it was uh, women who uh, uh, were visited by Aunt Flo uh, once a month. And now, of course, it could be little Jimmy in grade three who's transitioning. And so you have to, the teachers explain to the class, uh, there's nothing embarrassing about it. It's just that little Jimmy is being uh, visited by his uncle Flo this month. So you can't say that uh, it's women who menstruate. So J.K. Rowling now is being damned on Twitter. People are saying they're never going to read Harry Potter again. They'll soon be calling for libraries to ban Harry Potter, for networks to cease airing Harry Potter films, uh, because J.K. Rowling thinks there are two biological sexes rather than 58 genders. Uh, and that uh, menstruate... Pardon me, I'm getting uh, too heated here today. Menstruation is combined to one of them. Now, this is a woman who's completely left-wing. Just like the guy who's had to quit at the New York Times. He's left-wing. Just like uh, Andrew Sullivan at New York Magazine, the guy who gave us gay marriage. He's basically uh, left-wing, at least on all those social issues. So's the guy at the Philadelphia Inquirer. But this is the revolution... Uh, devouring its grandparents, as it were. These people 
Uh, they thought they were on the cutting edge. They were keeping up with it. But wokeness now is happening so fast. And if you're only on board with 98% of it, it's not enough. You still have to be cancelled. Uh, and this this is now reaching a point where even businesses that cater to the generality of humanity, like Facebook, have decided to take one side of a severe cultural divide. And, you know, people used to say about this, for a start, I don't even like businesses being political, because in a, eventually they decide to prioritize their business interests and screw you over. Like all those people who ate at Chick-fil-A, because Chick-fil-A was somehow on the right side of the culture war, and then Chick-fil-A decided they weren't going to have anything to do with the Samaritans, God bless them. The Samaritans, because the Samaritans are a hate group, uh, according to the owners of Chick-fil-A. So thanks a lot for all the people who went and had their chicken at Chick-fil-A. I bet they'd like to get a refund for that, uh, Chick-fil-A designating the Samaritans a hate group. It's all a waste of time. I'd like to be able to get a chicken sandwich without it being a political act. But the fact is, after the last week and a half, you'd be boycotting everything. There isn't a business that you can't boycott. There's no sphere of life that hasn't got on the Black Lives Matter, the Antifa, the whole thing. There is This is a left-wing view of the world. I listen to constitutional conservatives, constitutional conservatives who sound like they're space aliens, uh, who have had no idea what a human life on this planet has been like since the last time they visited in uh, 1789. And they expect it's all to be the same, and they're still talking about small government. You can't have small government when every single sphere of life is political. When you go to buy a pair of socks, and the brand of socks you like has got a big black thing uh, saying Black Lives Matter on it. So buying a pair of socks is a political act. Good luck with small government in that world. Mark Stein in for us. We will take your calls straight ahead. Mark signing for Rush on America's number one radio show. Derek Chauvin uh, is appearing in the Hennepin County District Court. He should be walking in about right now. We'll bring you any news from that as it happens. He is the accused in the second-degree murder case of George Floyd. Let's go to John in Chicago, which we were just uh, talking about. Uh, John, I hope you're... Uh, well, actually, I was going to say I hope you're on the like Magnificent Mile nice bit of Chicago, but I saw that got trashed in all the riots. So <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you're steering well clear of all the trouble anyway, John, uh, this, uh, yes, this Monday Mark. morning. Mark, yeah. staying safe here in Chicago and appreciate you taking my call and prayers for Rush right off the bat. Yeah, um, thank you. But what... One thing that I wanted to say is, and it's been driving me crazy, is these companies, they're posting the black squares, they're virtual signaling, saying, oh, I'm going to donate a million dollars here, $2 million to this cause. But these are the same companies that have for decades been taking their factories, moving them to China, Vietnam, uh, South Korea. If they really wanted to make a difference in these communities, they should bring these factories back and build them next to these communities. And Trump, if he was smart, should be calling them out on this. He should be saying, I want to bring these big executives who want to make a difference. I'm there with you. I want to make a difference. Let's bring these jobs back. Let's give these people opportunity. Let's give them hope. 
instead of just giving them a handout. These people, you know, I'm sure they want to work. They want to do good in their community. They want to build it up. I'm not talking about the rioters and looters, but the people out there that want to build their community up, Trump should embrace them, bring them in, bring in these uh, organizations that are so, quote-unquote, virtuous because they're posting a black box right. on their Instagram. Bring them you, in and, and build up these communities. You, you've, actually, you've actually got right to the heart of it, okay? So these guys, they say, oh, well, we're a virtuous company, so we've turned our Instagram completely black, and as you say, we're going to send a $2 million check to... to that's a drop in the ocean for the because these guys... Uh, don't care about black or white. Everything they make is made in some sweatshop of ch- Chinese child labor around the back of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Of course they can afford to give a $2 million check uh, for a handout. As you say, John, the real challenge would be if Trump were to say something like, we'll give you a spectacular tax credit if you move your factory from behind the Wuhan Institute of Virology to this burnt-out neighborhood in uh, Minneapolis or in Chicago or in St. Louis or wherever you want, he should actually call their bluff on that because it is the most... These are people who are as responsible for the, for the death of American opportunity as anybody, and people are stupid enough to think, oh, look, they've taken down the fancy logo they commissioned for $6 million and they've turned the screen all black, so let's not loot and burn their place uh, because they've got a black, black screen on their website. Uh, Trump, Trump should actually say, look, I'll give you the spectacular tax credit if you move your Chinese factory into this black neighborhood in Minneapolis or Chicago. That's a brilliant idea, John. Brilliant. Yes. And, well, thank you. And, 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 you know, I just wish Trump would take a second to call these people out, but then also bring them in. Because I, I think there's a real opportunity in the African-American community to embrace change and hope instead of what the Democrats have been offering for the last 50 years. They've been in charge in Chicago since 1930. Okay. There's, yeah. there's no Republicans. We have no. nothing to do with this. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. All these, this is basically a crisis of Democrat cities. And what it's mainly going to do, as you say, there are no Republicans involved. This is like in New York, the Democrat governor hates the Democrat mayor uh, and the Democrat mayor uh, uh, hates the police chiefs appointed by Democrats. And it's the same thing exactly is going on in Minnesota. It's a dispute. This 12-year-old Democrat mayor is at odds with the entire Democrat council. There are no Republicans anywhere in sight. But what is going to happen, John, I think, is that there's going to be a kind of uh, resurgence of the white flight phenomenon. It might not actually be uh, just whites uh, this time. It's going to be anybody who just doesn't want to live in the kind of crazy land that uh, people like uh, the guys who run Minneapolis are building for them. I notice, I notice, I'm in northern, far northern New Hampshire. And I noticed just in tootling around my neighborhood in the week and a half this has been going on, a sudden upsurge in out-of-state plates from people fleeing the Democrat cities and suddenly deciding they'd like to sit this thing out by going to their camp in far northern New England. Uh, You can sort of see that the reality of the policies they voted for is now beginning to land on them. Mark Stein, Farash, lots more still to come. 
Mark Stein in for Rush. Apparently, uh, Derek Chauvin will not be appearing live in the courthouse. He'll be appearing via video link uh, from the Hennepin County Jail. I'm not quite sure what that's about. I don't see any reason why a guy on a second-degree murder charge can't be actually taken to the courthouse to enter his plea or to be arraigned or whatever stage of the process is going to be occurring today. But apparently he's going to be appearing via video link from the county jail. Uh, That uh, should be happening any moment now. Mark Stein in for Rush in. uh, We've just heard this guy who just drove a a truck into the crowd is a self-described Q clan uh, leader. This is a man in Hanover. Uh, he's a KKK leader, drove his truck through a crowd. Yes, America's anchor man is away. This is your EIB anchor baby. Thrilled to be with you. Lovely to be with you as we start another turbulent week in the United States of America. We have five months to go before Election Day 2020. Assuming there is an Election Day 2020, we have a poll from CNN that showing that Joe Biden's lead has now risen to 14 points. Biden, Biden, just by moving into the basement for the last three months and ceasing to campaign, ceasing to interact with voters, where he was always in danger of losing control and threatening to punch out cute little co-heads who, uh, who, who were a bit impertinent to him, just by staying in his basement and uh, occasionally attempting a podcast, he has, uh, given, he has risen to a 14-point lead over President Trump. So it looks like uh, Biden's heading for a 49-state landslide, according to this CNN poll. We shall see how that... At this stage, it's five months to Election Day. Remember where we were five months ago? Wind that clock back. We were in January... Uh, where President Trump was presiding over a gangbusters economy and the Democrats who wanted to run that economy are so incompetent they couldn't even count the votes in the Iowa caucus. I'm not sure whether we even have an official result from the Iowa caucus yet, Uh, but that's how how good Democrats were doing. Nobody thought we were going to have three months of lockdown uh, and then just to turn attention to the few bits of the economy that hadn't been totally destroyed, then the Antifa Black Lives Matter guys would come out and take care of the six or seven mom-and-pop stores that hadn't been totally screwed over by the three months of lockdown. So who knows uh, what... I mean, we used to talk about October surprises. So far, we've had a February, March, April, May and June surprise. I'm not going to pay any attention to what these polls are saying at, uh, at this point in the election process. I did, I did say, and I think it's an important point, the mainstreaming of craziness exemplified about an hour before this show began by the Democrat caucus, uh, senators and uh, representatives in the Capitol in Washington getting down on their knee for eight and three-quarter minutes, uh, which is the precise length of time that George Floyd was on the ground. So taking a knee, and I I would like to hear from you, if you're one of these guys who supports Colin Kaepernick, 
and uh, you're you're all hot for taking the knee because everyone's taking the knee now. That's really the best way to get rid of it. it. Is it won't be edgy and controversial anymore. It'll just be universal. Mitt Romney, I don't, I'm not sure. I think he just marched in the Black Lives Matter mar- march, but he would take a knee if asked. Piers Morgan is daring President Trump to have the guts to take a knee in the Oval Office. And I did a cheap joke saying that uh, the last person to uh, take a knee in the Oval Office was, in fact, Monica Lewinsky. But that used to be, I think that was John Cleese's joke, John Cleese from Monty Python. <laughs> Back during the, this is a Clinton era joke. Happy times, more innocent times, oddly enough. Uh, but John Cleese said uh, that the difference uh, between Americans and his own country was that in his country, you only had to drop to one knee when you met the head of state. Uh, now everyone's dropping to one knee all over the United States, too. It's not a small thing, that. Colin Kaepernick, I don't know whatever it was meant to do, and I heard people defend it on the grounds of freedom of expression. A national anthem is meant to be a communal ritual, not an opportunity for self-expression. There's lots of other things you can do if you're interested in self-expression. You can take a pottery class. Uh, But uh, a national anthem is supposed to be an act of communal expression. So actually, when you uh, put a dagger in the heart of that, uh, a cicatrice, as the French say, I find the French word for dagger uh, more menacing somehow. But when you put a dagger through a communal ritual, that's actually not a small thing. And for a while, it was controversial. And do you remember that football team that went over to London and they all took a knee for their own national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, and then all stood upright for God Save the Queen. I thought that was one of the most humiliating moments in contemporary American history, uh, that, that, that even on a foreign land you will not stand for your national anthem. And now taking a knee, now Nancy Pelosi's taking a knee, now Governor Whitmer's taking a knee, Mayors are taking a knee. Police chiefs are taking a knee. National guardsmen, to their shame, are taking a knee. And that's that's the danger here, that you've taken something that used to be politically controversial and you've now made it mandatory, in effect. And I will, I will mention something else about the way everybody now has to side with the most uh, radical elements. Basically, it's the anti... It's not like you don't need anti-fire anymore because everyone has adopted anti-fire's position. Uh, so we had this protest in Washington, D.C., just a few days ago, uh, and graffiti was put all over one of the federal... Well, several of the federal buildings, including the Lafayette building, and three women who happened to be white women went out on the street and started to scrub the graffiti off the Lafayette building. And there was a video that wound up getting posted to Twitter and Facebook filmed by somebody in a car. And the woman in the car is yelling at these women, why do you want that to come off? And one of the women scrubbing the building clean again says, well, because this is a federal building. And the woman from the car yells, so you, you're not, you don't care about black lives then? Uh, and then they say, no, no, we do care about black lives. Not enough to leave up the message. So in other words, even even the removing of graffiti, defacing, uglying up what is already 
an ugly modern landscape in many of our cities. Even actually uh, trying to clean it up to remove the graffiti is now an act that will get you shamed on Twitter. Uh, Just people deciding, oh, look, they've defaced the building, they've defaced these monuments on the Washington Mall, Uh, they've defaced the monument to the Armenian Holocaust, they've defaced the monument to the black soldiers who fought on the Union side in the Civil War because they're just old dead people who uh, have got white privilege uh, just by being old and dead, and so they need to be torn down too. This is all... So, in other words, even cleaning up the damage done by these looters and rioters now makes you beyond the pale. Uh, Same thing in London. Uh, In London, uh, Tory MPs came out and cleaned up the defacing of Churchill's statue in Parliament Square, where they'd sprayed on it Churchill. uh, Underneath the word Churchill, they put is a racist uh, under there. The the graffiti on the statue of Field Marshal Earl Haig, who led the British Empire's forces in the First World War, uh, the, the uh, some members of the Household Cavalry in plain clothes came around after the protests had dwindled and scrubbed the graffiti clean because it's insulting to soldiers uh, to honour their to dishonour their commanders because when you when you uh, when you put graffiti over a statue honouring uh, military service, you're you're actually dishonouring all people who do military service. There, that was also true after they climbed uh, all over the cenotaph, the war memorial, in the heart of London, and uh, these young soldiers came out and were cleaning it, and they're told even by cleaning it, even by a lot of the things that they put up there is they have these letters A C A B which stands for all coppers are, uh, I don't know whether I can say that word on the radio, but it's B, uh, and it stands uh, for the child of someone whose parents did not enjoy benefit of clergy. I think that's the way, discreet way of putting it. And people are filming them cleaning these statues in Washington and London because now you might get you might be able to get them fired because you're cleaning off the graffiti from uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all that, and, like, they're being taunted for cleaning statues of obscene graffiti. Oh, you couldn't even you couldn't even wait a day because of your precious memorial. Your precious memorial is more important to you than black lives. No, it's not. It's because a nation that does not have a past is, li- is living in Pol Pot's year zero. And these scenes where people... Dis- tear down statues and toss them in the river, uh, which happened in uh, in uh, Britain over the weekend. This is actually the urge, which is a completely totalitarian urge. And so if you're under some nice little suburban mommy sitting in your nice little suburb thinking that it's just a question, you listen to NPR and NPR says you might have white privilege on your bookshelf, so why don't you... Uh, take out your books by white authors and put some unreadable sludge by Maya Angelou in there or whatever, uh, and then you'll be like virtue signaling. It's not going to stop there. This is a totalitarian moment. The contempt, the contempt of people who live in a hyper-present, in, in, a, in the hyper-present tense of contemporary society, the contempt for the totality of the past, 
for all who went before them. This is, again, what I meant when I said we are now all a big, giant college campus now. Because what you saw there, those scenes, rewind it back to the tail end of the Obama era. And you had those scenes of people clustering around college professors and demanding that they prostrate themselves before whatever idiocy they, they now demanded be made the conventional wisdom. That is all spread outside now, and it's a contempt for the past. And it's not just the contempt for your 43-year-old college professor. It's a contempt for the entirety of human history. And in fact, it's a mental defect because it's the inability to understand people in their own time uh, and in their own world, which is what empathy is. So we talk about empathy even as we don't have any. Uh, because if you have, if you if you do not have the imaginative capacity to understand that some guy on a horse in stone in the middle of your municipal park two hundred years ago had a different way of looking at things, if you lack the imaginative capacity to be able to comprehend, there are people who, in other times and other places and other societies and other worlds, did not think as you do. Then you do not have a wit of empathy. And that is what is turning uh, the people on the streets demanding prostration before these idiocies into uh, into basically foot soldiers of a new and ugly totalitarianism. There will be nothing left if these guys get their way. What do they want? When do they want it? Because uh, nobody can say. Apart from tearing down the statue and tossing it in the river... What do you want? Apart from defacing the statue of the guy you've never heard of, that you don't know, but he's got a statue, so he must be bad. Apart from that, what do you want? If you know what you want, if you're one of these guys out defacing the statues, give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. 1-800-282-2882. Mark Stein for Rush. Your call's straight ahead. Mark Stein in for Rush on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Dean is in Gainesville, Florida. Dean, it's great to have you with us on America's number one radio show. What's on your mind well, th today? Thank you, Mark, for taking my call. It's always a pleasure listening to you. I've read a number of your books. Oh, and, great. Uh, in fact, one story in one of your books changed my thinking, changed my life. In one of your books, you talked about growing up younger and filling out applications for employment. And when it came to the question regarding race... You checked the box uh, Caucasian, and uh, you said you lied on your applications all your young life because you later realized that, that you weren't Caucasian. The only real Caucasians live in Asia. Yeah, well, no, I, I yeah, I, I, I used to have, uh, because if you live in the inner city, you often have, like, woke paperwork you have to fill in. And it's actually true on U.S. census and U.S. passport forms and all kinds of other paperwork here where you ask to fill in your ethnicity and everything. And I said, I think, somewhere in that book that at a certain point I just began uh, just filling in the wrong boxes on that, just on a point of principle. So I would, I would check that, you know, I was a Muslim uh, transgender from Polynesia just as a way of screw my contribution to screwing up all the statistics on these things because uh, 
Yeah, well, carry, carry on. Younger, carry. I, I would ask myself when I got to that question and I saw the word Caucasian, I would actually, I remember distinctly asking myself, what is a Caucasian? Right. And, uh, and, and, but I would check it because I thought it was appropriate because I, I wasn't black and I wasn't Hispanic. But, yeah. but after reading the story, I began to think seriously about the theory of race, uh, and I began to ask the hard question that a, a lot of people are unwilling to ask, whether the theory or the concept is even true. Uh, the, the oldest book on anthropology, the Bible, tells us there is no such thing as race if we're all descendants of the same two people. Right. And uh, that in the Bible, there aren't races of people. There are only families. There's only tribes, which are just larger families. There are only neighbors. And I began to think that, you know, we've been conditioned to define ourselves in terms of race. Uh, and until we actually face the question and, and answer it properly, we'll never get rid of racism because we need to get rid of the theory of race before we can stop racism. I know there's racism. I, I, everybody, it's obvious that there is racism in our country, but it's yeah. based on a false theory and, and something I think Darwin uh, uh, really uh, introduced to us. But I just feel like uh, if we can embrace the great truth that every man and every woman really do have a kinship with the rest of mankind, and it's just well, the fact that Darwin got it wrong that someone like a Martin Luther King and someone like a John F. Kennedy were not from different races. Well, I do, I do think that it, it, from a legal point of uh, view, Dean, I mean, this is a very, the most important identity group in a society is the individual. And so from a, a point of view of a legal regime, uh, you want to be treated the equal of me if we happen to find ourselves in a court of law. And so there's, you use the word tribe. And there's a danger that individual, that identity politics just becomes a new tribalism. It's not like the Shona and the Matabele in Southern Africa. It's more complex than that now because you have African Americans and you have gay Americans and you have Muslim Americans and you have transgender Americans. But there is a real danger in that in that you just descend into a new kind of tribalism with more fashionable uh, and more woke tribes. And I don't think there's anything... I think there's a danger in that, and, and, uh, and it has not actually been good. I would argue that thinking in those terms, in the prostration before identity politics, in thinking of everything in racial terms in that way, we have actually made our society... Uh, more complicated and more fractious. And one of the things that is clear uh, from the video on the streets, Dean, uh, is that there is there are significant numbers of people who hate America. Uh, and, and we needn't put it in any more sophisticated terms. Whatever they want America to be, they hate the America that is and was and has been for the last uh, two and a half centuries. They're not into that at all. They don't want to know about it. Uh, and and they absolutely they absolutely loathe it, and that includes. I'm not even talking about black people, but white people who are mired in a kind of civilizational self-loathing that is really quite extraordinary. And that I think, in its own way, is a product of this bizarre focus on identity politics that we have had now for the last half century. Thanks for your call, Dean. Hey, great to be with you. As uh, Rush said on Friday, 
Uh, he's uh, the the way the way it's worked in previous weeks. He's he's always pledged that he's going to be back earlier than he actually comes back. So we try to kind of lay it out in in front of you uh, on Friday. Uh, said he's taking a couple of days off, and then he's going to be back on Thursday. We're going to try and hold down the fort. Todd Herman's going to be in, and uh, we're we're doing our best here. It's uh, it's not an ideal situation. I know that everybody wants to hear from Rush about these things. Rush actually was very optimistic at the end of last week because of. Uh, the good economic news. I mean, it does look, I don't quite know. I haven't, I listened, there's people in the administration I pay particular attention to, like uh, Peter Navarro and a, a couple of others. Um, uh, but I still don't actually have a handle on why everyone got sideswiped by this good economic news on Friday. And that's why I say we should be very careful about getting too hysterical about polls showing Biden with a 14-point lead over Trump. It would actually be an incredible... He's now talking... This this woman in Atlanta, uh, who's a young black woman, uh, Mayor Bottoms, who's gotten tough with the people uh, rioting and looting in her city, and apparently she's now a woman basically nobody outside Atlanta had heard of until a couple of weeks back, and she's now heading the list to be Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. But uh, it's five months to go, and if you look at the last five months, we've all learned a lot since then, except on the coronavirus, where everybody is as stupid as they were on day one. We've had contradictory advice. The CDC says... They said it could linger on surfaces. Then they said it couldn't linger on surfaces. Then they said it could linger on surfaces again. Uh, They were all concerned about asymptomatic carriers of the virus. Now they're saying the World Health Organization is saying that uh, asymptomatic spread of coronavirus is very rare. That may be reversed in 48 hours' time. No one knows nothing about it, which should actually tell us something about experts. Um. So so we've had all that, and then we've had this, again, this huge sudden flare-up uh, in which we are now seeing uh, completely extraordinary responses to, like a pledge to abolish uh, municipal police departments that have existed for over 150 years in these cities. We see hysteria. There's a story in the New York Times In Minneapolis, Somali-Americans find unwelcome echoes of strife at home. As a child in Somalia, Ali Youssef dreamed of joining the United States Air Force. Uh, In 2014, he finally made it to Baltimore, where he worked on a janitorial crew. And it tells his story, all heartwarming story. And the guy says, see, I love America, but I'm scared, says Mr. Youssef, who works as an Uber driver. He started to cry. Okay, so this is a 33-year-old Uber driver sobbing in front of a New York Times reporter. He started to cry, quote, Being a black man, I feel it's not only that you have to die, but when you die, you will not get justice unless you have evidence of video. And then you have to take it to the next level with protests. And then still you have to destroy properties just to get justice. Uh, Somalia. (laughs) So Mr. Youssef in this piece... Is comparing, is comparing life in Minneapolis with life in Somalia. And the New York Times reporter says, 
Somalia collapsed into anarchy uh, after the military regime was overturned in 1991. Since 2012, some stability has been restored, but it still faces threats threats from al-Shabaab militants aligned with al-Qaeda. Mogadishu, the capital, suffers from frequent roadside bombings that kill hundreds of civilians each year. Uh, There are no roadside bombings in Minneapolis that kill hundreds of civilians each year. It's a completely incompetently run city, which is stunning uh, to foreigners like myself and Mr. Youssef, who know nothing about it except what we learned on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I don't know whether they had the Mary Tyler Moore show in Mogadishu. Possibly not. Uh, There might be a Mogadishu rerun channel that shows it. I don't know. I'm not up on Somalia TV. One can't be an expert in anything. But Minneapolis is a totally incompetently run city. But the idea that this guy is crying to a New York Times reporter because he thinks he's back in Mogadishu with its roadside bombings killing hundreds of civilians every year and he fears for his life. This is a guy, this, this, well, you know, this is what I mean about the dishonesty of the conversation. And that, and no good can, if you don't analyze a problem, uh, honestly, you can't solve it. So when we have basically uh, an entirely dishonest conversation, and in fact, when people who uh, try to move it beyond the dishonesty of the conversation, so they're they're old-fashioned enough, they're old-fashioned we-are-the-world types, they're old-fashioned Benetton types, they're old-fashioned, I'd like to buy the world a Coke in perfect harmony types. And they, and they say, oh, all lives matter. Because that used to be the, that used to be the liberal universalist position. Re- well, what is it? It's, uh, everything is beautiful in its own way. Racy, red and yellow and pink and white, orange and yellow and blue. No, no, that's, I can sing a rainbow. Well, whatever it is. Uh, all, it used to be all colors matter. All one, we were one great rainbow hued, uh, utopia. And now it's just Black Lives Matter. And if you're white, you have to kneel in the street like these guys in North Carolina and wash the feet of, uh, of, the, uh, of the Black Lives Matter protesters. You're not going to get anything like that. You know, everybody, every time you... How do you know someone's lying when they call... Uh, it's the easiest way is when they call for a national conversation on race. Because the one thing you know when someone calls for a national conversation on race, the cliche from the 90s, is they actually don't want a national conversation on race. They don't want to, they don't want to deal with any of these problems. And we're now, we have this thing now where a lot of these groups are mutually incompatible. Um, and they're all kind of uh, got an alliance of convenience. Uh, <laughs> and then you have these like white liberal women trying to get a piece of the action and get in, get in front of it. And the, the crazy thing about it is that, meanwhile, as I said, there's an actual honest protest for liberty going on against real tyrants, these brave demonstrators in Hong Kong. China is the dominant power on the planet. While we've been wasting our time talking about transgender bathrooms and Russian collusion, China snaffled the planet out from under the free world. They are the dominant power. They make everything we need. Uh, They're militarily assertive, uh, not just in the South China Sea, but in the broader Pacific and in the Indian Ocean, where they've basically been building all these 
ports uh, all the way through to the Middle East. They're taking all uh, the natural resources of Africa, uh, bauxite in Jamaica, they're in Australia. They got the run of the joint. They got the run of the planet. And we're here having a sterile and dishonest argument about what for all and as i said i'm i'm not i'm not one of these reflexive law and order conservatives you know in the end uh, if you're a small uh, government guy and you don't like big government bureaucracy in the end ultimately law enforcement is part of that bureaucracy and so it is proper for a person of conservative temperament uh, to be skeptical of the police but the picture that is being painted does not actually happen it is a rare event and as I said, I could sit here every day and talk about the 16-year-old schoolgirl shot dead in St. Louis, uh, the 18-year-old guy who just happens to be at the intersection and gets shot dead yesterday in Chicago. This goes on all the time. And black leaders, the contemptible, uh, pitiful, dishonest black leadership that's enriched itself. People like Al Sharpton hasn't paid any taxes in decades uh, guys like that, they get rich peddling lies about who is destroying the black community. For God's sake, if, I, if, if, if we're actually in the midst of civilizational collapse, we could at least footnote it accurately. It would make a difference. Mark Stein in for Rush, your call straight ahead. Mark Stein for Rush, let's go to Dave in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dave, your live on America's number one radio show. Hi, Mark. There's something that people just are not understanding. There's, nobody's getting it. Legally, this is how it works if a p- city gets rid of their police department. I'm an attorney. Right. If a city gets rid of the police department, every city is inside of a county. The county mm. is run by the county sheriff. And if there's no police department in a city or a township, the county sheriff is required to provide law enforcement throughout that city or wherever there's a town that doesn't have a police department. Right. And the city, the, the sheriff deputy, or the actual sheriff, does not answer to the city. So the city can't kick out the sheriff because that is his or her county. Same thing with the state. The state troopers can go anywhere in that state. So no, the, the city gets... Yeah. Yeah, that, that that that's that's true. So when the Minneapolis uh, uh, council abolishes the Minneapolis police department, in theory, uh, that will mean that the Hennepin County Sheriff uh, just drives through town, and if he sees something going on, his uh, deputies will 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 arrest the guys. That's certainly how it is in in New Hampshire. There are small towns that can't afford their own. Uh, constable, their own municipal police department. So the sheriff, uh, it's known that the sheriff comes through a couple of times a day and basically provides police cover for them. But Dave, just let me ask you this. Do you not think uh, when you listen to what the governor of the state of Minnesota and people are saying that they've got plans actually to take municipal, county and state Policing and over, and I understand the sheriffs are actually the oldest uh, form of policing in the United States, uh, going back to the sheriff of Nottingham and all that. But do you not do you not think that they they've got plans to uh, totally dismantle all three forms of policing? Well, the governor can do it and the city can do it, 
the sheriff is independent of both. Neither one of them, right. the governor and the city, can't tell the sheriff what to do. I mean, if, if, I guess if they get rid of all three, we're at martial law. But I don't think that's, <laughs> It would be interesting to see, though, when a yeah. <laughs> city gets rid of its police department and now yeah. the sheriff has total control and the city can't kick the sheriff out. Maybe that would be better. No, we will. We we will. As I said, it's it's an it's an interesting situation. And when you say, uh, "quote Dave," that would be interesting. It it'd be more interesting if it's an, in a neighbouring jurisdiction <laughs> to the one you or I happen to live in. But it, it it is an interesting point, and we'll see what it actually boils down to. These are these. Uh, there's the the whiff of bloodlust. Uh, in what's going on on the the streets now, the the, the mob has has that intoxication that comes with knowing that authority is weak and can be bent to your will, and it's uh, fascinating to me. The last time I was here, I I said I'm I'm disappointed in the strength of so-called conservative institutions uh, in this country because we're in this situation basically because the left is very clear at how far there's a ratchet effect, the ratchet effect, the ratchet effect. They're always pushing, pushing, pushing and conservative institutions on the whole aren't good, uh, at pushing back. I spoke earlier in the first hour. I'm very disturbed about what's happening to free speech that people who make an infelicitous tweet have their lives ruined. Uh, and the last time I was here, and this is what I mean about conservative institutions. Uh, National Review, Kevin Williamson had a piece up at National Review, I think it was last week or something, about something I said on Rush when I was last here, when I said that I supported these attorneys general basically filing antitrust lawsuits against Facebook and U Google YouTube, because these guys, a handful of woke billionaires, control, increasingly control and police ever more narrowly uh, freedom of expression around the planet. That's not a good thing. All the stuff they learned in China, they're now applying at home. And Kevin Williamson, uh, quite disgracefully, said that mine was a bad faith position, that I thought it was rubbish in law, but I was arguing uh, that I'd said on Rush, it's rubbish in law, but I was arguing in favor of it anyway. No, it's not. I've held this position for years. And if we don't break them up, uh, in the next uh, in the next couple of years, it'll be too late for that. They're as powerful as nation states. They're more powerful than most nation states, and and the world they're building for us, where you can be fired over a headline, you can be cancelled over a tweet, you can make a video that five million people watch and then suddenly it disappears. Even if you're left wing, like Michael Moore. You step out of line on climate change and your anti-climate change film disappears from YouTube. Uh, I, I said that in good faith and I resent the, 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 the pansy conservatives of con supposedly conservative institutions like National Review. I know uh, Rush got a big award from National Review recently and Rush and I both knew Bill Buckley well. This is not Bill Buckley's uh, National Review uh, but Kevin Williamson completely misrepresented uh, my position on that. I hold that position in good faith, and after the last few days, I mean it even more fiercely, uh, that we live in crisis times for freedom of speech and delivering control of speech to a handful of woke billionaires 
uh, is not going to work out well for what remains of liberty on this troubled planet. Mark Stein for Rush. We'll close it out in a moment. Derek Chauvin's bail has been increased to $1.25 million following uh, his first court appearance in uh, Minneapolis earlier today. It's been a busy three hours. It promises to be another turbulent news week. We will break it all down for you at the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. My thanks to Mr. Snurdly, as always, and to Keith and Mike in uh, New York City. As you know, Rush has taken a couple of days out, but he is going to be back on Thursday. We have Todd Herman, the great Todd Herman, coming in for you on Wednesday, and I will see you right here, back tomorrow. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.